0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Stephen Schwartz is a distinguished consulting faculty member of Saybrook University, a research associate of the Cognitive Sciences Laboratory of the Laboratories for Fundamental Research, columnist for the Journal Explorer, editor of a daily web publication called the SchwartzReport.net, both of which he covers trends that are affecting the future of all of us. For 40-plus years, he has been studying the nature of consciousness, particularly that aspect independent. Space and Time. One of his books is called The Eight Laws of Change, How to Be an Agent of Personal and Social Transformation. Another is called Awakening. Stephen, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Uh,
0: I'm doing very well, George, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah,
1: me too. And uh, you are surviving the COVID situation, I trust?
0: Yes, I I live on an island in the middle of a forest, so I'm I'm kind of tucked
1: away. (laughs) Nothing gets to you, right? Yeah. That's good. What, what's new with you over the last year or so that we uh, haven't spoken?
0: Well, I'm doing a lot of social outcome research. Uh, I've gotten very interested as I uh, about climate change and COVID, what's going on, what it's telling us about society. And I'm doing a, a large 1,500-person uh, project to look at the year 2060. And, and I'll be finished by the end of this year, and maybe we talk again, but it's uh, very interesting. I'm getting, I did a project uh, from 1978 to 1991. I got 4,000 people to look at the year 2050, and everything they predicted has either come to pass or is in the process.
1: Wow. Things
0: like, uh, I mean, things that I just didn't believe at the time, but. They were, for instance, I, I thought we were going to have a nuclear war. I just left government. And they said to me things like, oh, no, there's not a nuclear war. And I said, well, then what happens to the Cold War, of Soviet Union, United States? And they said to me, oh, well, the Soviet Union disappears.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, they were spot on. You
0: know, uh, yes. I mean, but in 1979, who thought the Soviet Union was going to disappear? Exactly. Or uh, they said to me, I said, well, you know, what other things are we looking at? And they said, well, there are going to be a series of pandemics. The first one will be a blood disease that we get from primates that crosses over in Africa and kills millions of people. And I went to a friend of mine who was the deputy director of National Institutes of Health at the time and said, you know, do you know anything about a blood disease that crosses over from primates in Africa? It's going to kill millions of people? And his answer was, Stephen, whatever you're smoking, quit. And, of course, AIDS showed up in 1981, and it's killed 35 million people.
1: Little did that other guy know. Geez. Were these people, so were you testing people doing remote viewing? What were they doing to yes. get? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, so I was doing remote viewing sessions with all these people all over the world. I, I, I did this in Japan uh, the Soviet Union, uh, uh, all over Europe, every, almost every country, not every country, but Britain, Gr- Germany, France, Spain, um, in the United States, of course, Canada, Mexico. It was interesting because no matter what country the, the remote viewers were in, they all told me the same basic story.
1: So these uh, twenty people, that's going to be fascinating. When do you begin to conduct this one, and when do you get your results?
0: I am doing it now. I I have about, I'm looking for 1,500 people, and I'm at about 1,350 at this point. I'm going to quit collecting data at the end of June. I will then start an analysis, and I will finish the analysis by the end of the year.
1: Well, if you give out some kind of email or contact that you want these extra uh, 200 people to uh, sign up for, let me know. You'll get them tonight, Stephen.
0: Oh, well, uh, actually, uh, okay, when we take a break and I can get my computer on, I will give you a URL where you can go do that.
1: And I'll make sure our webmaster uh, puts that on our website for you as well, and you'll uh, be able to get going. And then when the study's done, I want you back to talk about some okay. of the things they're predicting that's that's how can they get so accurate I'm like these people who did the 2050 study how do they get so accurate to be able to pinpoint well, things
0: you know when you move into when when you move into non-local consciousness you open to non-local consciousness you're you're really outside of space time so Time is not the limitation. It's, it's still a factor. It's an informational factor, but it's not a limitation. And one of the things that I'm looking at in the 2060 project, because I have the 2050 data, is when people remote view the future, are they describing a fixed future, or are they describing the highest probability at the moment I ask the question? And I don't know the answer to that yet, but that's one of the things I'm trying to work out.
1: And when you talk about non local consciousness, Stephen, explain to that to a lot of people who may not know what that means, what it does yes, mean. Of course. Go ahead.
0: Well, non local consciousness is. It, let me. In fact, let me start at it a little differently. Okay. The. Max Planck in 1931, you know, the father of quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. When Max Planck was asked by the Observer newspaper in 1931, they went to him and said, you know, you and Einstein are the two most famous scientists in the world. What have you learned? Now, I don't know what they thought he was going to say, but what he said just gobsmacked them because his answer was, what I've learned is that consciousness is causal and fundamental. Everything starts with consciousness. You cannot get behind consciousness. Space-time arises from consciousness, not consciousness from space-time. And that's, once you start with the idea that that we are, at at the ultimate end, we are beings of consciousness, that periodically manifests through incarnation, but that there is a continuity of consciousness. Consciousness exists before you were born, it continues when you're alive, obviously, and it continues after corporeal death, after you die. So that the materialist worldview is that consciousness is a result of biophysical processes in your neuroanatomy, your brain particularly. That's the physicalist idea, that, that dead meat, no consciousness. But what is emerging in science, based, and, and you know, as you know, George, I'm a data person.
1: Yes, yeah, you I are. Nuts and bolts.
0: Yeah, I'm a nuts and bolts guy. You know, if, if the data told me that consciousness was entirely physiologically based, well, then that, okay, that's, that's what it is. But that isn't what the data is telling us. If you look at the data, for instance, the near-death studies, about 13 million Americans have had a near-death experience. That's about 4.3% of the population. So there's millions of people. And when you look at the data that they report, and these are mostly people, uh, particularly in the data sets, that are people who were in a hospital. So They were under medical supervision, and the near-death experience occurred at a time when the doctors could monitor brain function and whether their hearts were beating, that sort of thing. But in any case, if you look at all this data, whether they're black or white or red or yellow, it doesn't make any difference. They all describe this same thing, and that is this continuity of consciousness, that consciousness continues. You know, there are famous books, uh, Eben Alexander's book, or uh, Ray Moody's book, Mm -hmm. about their experiences. But the reality is that across thousands of these studies, what you see over and over again is this idea that consciousness continues. And if you look at the reincarnation research, for instance, done by Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, they have thousands of cases now. They show that not only when do people have come back—not you're not coming back, George and Stephen are not coming back—but that this eternal self, what the religion, what religion calls the soul, will periodically, episodically, manifest another personality that incarnates, and and that what comes across between lives is information. You're not coming back, but a lot of the information patterns that make up your personality will survive, just as you came in with a lot of information patterns that came before. And in fact, it's so detailed uh, in a two-volume study, a two-volume book that Ian Stevenson did called Biology and Reincarnation. He showed that people come in with birthmarks and scar tissue, that's based on violence that occurred to them in a previous life.
1: That's right. Exactly. If, if you had, uh, like, you were stabbed, you may have a scar in this life or a birthmark, right?
0: That's right. Exactly. Um, and I've looked at a number of those cases. Um, and it's just, just very impressive. I mean, just to give you one story uh, a, a young boy is born in a village in India. And he has this scar on his back, like a scar tissue, like like he had a wound of some type. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he re- he remembers who he had been, and he said, "Well, in my previous life, I was a moneylender in a village that nobody in his village has ever heard of, in a hundreds of miles away in India." And he said, "I I had a uh, I had an affair with." Uh, a man I loaned some money to, uh, uh, he was a, a woodsman. And uh, he, when he came back, he caught me with his wife, and as I was trying to climb out the window, he had his axe with him, and he struck me with the axe. Ouch. Yeah, and killed me. And so they take this boy up to this village that he's never been to and nobody in his village knows about, and he goes, without even batting an eye, he walks right up to one house in the village, knocks on it, an older woman answers the door, and he calls her by a pet name uh, that nobody knew. And she then t- confirms the story. Yes, she had a lover.
1: Oh, my God. Had, Great story. She
0: loaned her husband some money, and when they were in the bed together, the husband came home unexpectedly, and as he was trying to call out the, crawl out the window, uh, the, the woodcutter killed him. So there are hundreds of these kind of stories.
1: What about the story of little James Leininger, the uh, pilot, little boy pilot, who claimed yeah. he was a World War II pilot flying the Concorde planes, and apparently they took him to a reunion of World War II veterans from that unit, and he knew everybody. Now, they didn't know yeah. him. He was a little kid, but he knew them. It was amazing.
0: Yes. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. When you look at this data, you realize that these people know things they just couldn't know. Uh, and they have obscure experiences. Uh, I'll tell you one other a uh, uh, young Again, that's a young boy. I mean, it's not particular to boys, girls have the it too, It's just a young boy. And he, he, he is born and he says, I want to go to this other village. And he goes there and he goes up to a house and knocks on the door and he says to the person that opens the door, I've come for my watch. What are you talking about? You know, this weird kid. What are you doing? And But they, the, the, the researchers who are with him say, no, no, see what he does. And so he walks into the cooking area and he pulls a brick out of where the fireplace is. And there, wrapped up in an oil cloth, is this gold pocket watch. And it turns out that uh, the person who had been in this house before, years earlier, uh, had had this watch that was unusual for people. uh, uh, They weren't very rich people. And then it disappeared. Nobody ever knew what happened to it. But there it was. So those kinds of odd little stories... Uh, like the boy, the, the American boy who, you know, knew all the guys who were in the squadron that he was in. Um, all of that kind of stuff, can, can, as well as the near-death stuff, as well as the remote viewing research, all of this data is telling us that consciousness exists beyond physicality and that in the non-local, that is, this aspect of eternal consciousness, again, what religion calls the soul, Um, we exist prior to incarnation, prior to birth, and then we continue on afterwards. And again, as I said about Max Planck, when you start from the idea that consciousness is the fundamental, so what, what people like me who do research in this area are studying is the nature of consciousness and what we see in the data is that consciousness is not physiologically based entirely and that we can access this there's a reason for instance why martial art dojos Tibetan lamaseries Christian monasteries Jewish kabbalistic centers all teach meditation because meditation is the way that you develop the key to all of this business about how do you access this, is you get you must attain and sustain intentioned, focused awareness.
1: As you look I, at remote viewing, Stephen, and, okay. and, and it appears to work outside of the body in this consciousness realm, would you say that it's tied to the brain or outside of the brain?
0: I would say that, that the brain itself is a manifestation of intentioned consciousness, that this aspect of consciousness is the fundamental upon which the brain is based, and that the neuroanatomy um, is how this aspect of consciousness moves into conscious awareness. So the key to it, and I've been studying this, dating back, as as far as I can see, dating back as early as humanity kept records, there has been an awareness that there was an aspect of consciousness that that anyone could make access to that was outside of space-time. That's where spiritual epiphanies occur. That you know that saints have spiritual epiphanies. In fact, if you think about it, every every major enduring religion in the world, across all history, begins because one person has a non-local consciousness experience. Jesus is baptized by John, and he awakens. He goes into the desert to meditate. Mohammed. Goes into the sacred cave of Haris and he meditates and he awakens. Uh, The Buddha goes to uh, an ashram and learns how to meditate and begins to meditate and he awakens. Joseph Smith, who founded uh, uh, the the Latter day Saints, goes into a grove, meditates, and awakens. They have experiences, you know. Mohammed says the angel Gabriel comes to him. The experiences are different, but they are all examples of non-local consciousness. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.